Hello and welcome to this episode of Telecom Talk. I'm your host, Mike Murphy, and today I'll be joined by Tom Duncan of CBRE. He's the Executive Director for Data Centers in the Asia Pacific. Tom, how are you today? I'm doing great, thanks, Mike, and uh, thanks for inviting me on this. I'm thrilled to have you, Tom. Uh, I was fortunate enough to hear you speak at the CBRE Data Summit uh, a month or so back, uh, and I was struck by the amount of, not only the amount of knowledge that you have, but just some of the really neat you know, information on different parts of Asia and how that compares to the U.S. And what I'd really like to start off with is a discussion around how the Asia-Pacific market and the U.S., some of the broad differences there. You know, in the U.S. right now, we've got some trends that we see, which, you know, there's always been a, a, an element of cost of power where people look at the cost of power. Uh, latency is also a big driver in where people put data centers in the U.S. Uh, connectivity, how much network is available in certain areas and within markets, within certain data centers more specifically. And then, you know, economic incentives and different things like that. If you can, talk to me a little bit about some of the things that you're seeing in your market. Sure. I think the first thing to really set out is that Asia-Pacific is geographically massive. And secondly, it's very culturally diverse. So it's not one homogenized trading block. There's no necessarily a shared culture, shared language, shared history. So you can get some very diverse different markets within the, the broader region. And you, you've mentioned latency. Latency is absolutely critical. The, probably the two biggest markets that everybody associates, Singapore and Hong Kong, I mean, they're four hours apart flying distance, um, which is you could fly across the European market from Dublin to Moscow in the same time. So latency becomes a major issue. If you want to service enterprise or customers in Singapore, you kind of have to put your data center in Singapore or the ASEAN block. You cannot go into a market like, say, Australia, um, which, which is far, say, easier for development. There's maybe slightly better access to power, those kind of things. And um, distance-wise, it just doesn't work. Gotcha. So, so you're seeing latency being a big driver. And how does that affect deployment? So you're seeing multiple smaller deployments because you can't, you know, given the broad expanse of geography, it, how does that impact how people will service, you know, that, that larger market space? Yeah, I think you're seeing particularly the hyperscalers having to change tact slightly. Um, instead of being able to do two or three large 100, 200 megawatt plus facilities and service a whole region. They've, they've got to look at going more specifically into the individual market, which basically means building smaller. Um, because one of the other things, the cultural diversity, we haven't really touched on, and we're just starting to see this get legislated, is data sovereignty. Um, Indonesia and China are the first two that are really looking at this. Um, but essentially, that that tactic of building a, a large um, a large data center will only really work in the bigger markets of China and India, and they're very much developing at the moment. Interesting. So, I guess from a scale perspective, you know, we're used to hyperscalers and the facilities that we see in the U.S. And you say they're smaller, you know, in 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 the markets that you're looking at here. What's smaller? I mean, can you give me some context to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, 
take some of the development mar developed markets, Hong Kong, Singapore, physically space is very constrained. The government hold a lot of the land and restrict development very um, closely. So in Singapore, uh, you're probably looking at 20 megawatts on average for new DCs being built. Some are pushing higher. Um, Singtel have got one at about 36. Um, but you're struggling to get the GFA to support the size of building you want to do because the plot sizes are small and the development ratio is only 2.5. Hong Kong, it's incredibly hard to get sites. Um, there are probably four or five developable DC sites on the market at the moment. One of those can potentially go up to 100 meg, so we are seeing people trying to drive it, but it's not happening uh, on the ground at the moment unless in very sort of isolated cases. If, if you widen it up, there are people looking at doing the two, three hundred megawatts in China. Uh, and I suspect you will see that, but that will be very much done by the domestic companies there. So, so uh, yeah, Chinese companies building within China on a larger yeah. scale. Let's dive a little bit deeper into some of the specific markets. And I think, you know, the U.S., right, we've got a homogenous trading block, as, as you put it. I, I think, you know, there's there's regional differences, but I think they're all fairly similar from a, a market perspective. Uh, you know, let's talk a bit about Hong Kong and Singapore. What market themes do you see there? They are the two probably most developed uh, of the DC markets, and that's based on the back of global enterprise, which has tended to go into first Hong Kong with the financial sector and then into Singapore. Um, there's strong competition between the two regions. Both pride themselves on ease of doing business. Um, Singapore is probably better connected to the submarine network, um, and I would say it's the best connected market in Asia. Um, and the other advantage Singapore has, I think the government's been a bit more dynamic. Um, they're going after technology in a big way. There's the smart nation or smart city scheme that they're pushing hard. They're looking very, very hard at fintech uh, and being basically the data center slash technology hub for Asia. Um, Hong Kong has been slightly slowed in the DC sector just with the ability to firstly get sites out of the ground as I've touched on just very very few available sites land is very very expensive almost cost prohibitive and the other reason is that the um, interaction with the Chinese domestic market on the mainland hasn't quite gone as everybody predicted and the sort of China gateway has been slower to materialize there is more talk about that and there's more investment coming in from the Chinese government and that's that gateway which is that sort of area the old Silk Road going up through to Shenzhen, Guangzhou um, so I expect to see more investment and growth there but whether that will be into Hong Kong or into the mainland that that's if you like the, the you know the $60,000 question. Interesting so available inventory in those two markets Ahead of demand, behind demand, where do you see it? Um, Singapore has probably, the co-location market has expanded about 75-80% in the last 18 months. So there's, there is inventory available. Um, there has been demand coming in in that period. Uh, people are looking at the Singapore market and saying, is that level of growth sustainable? The answer is probably not, but we're still seeing new entrants and expansion coming in. 
the Hong Kong, Hong Kong market saw a growth spurt, if you like, 24, 36 months ago, with a lot of inventory came on when the government um, in, in an area called Shunquano or TKO as it's known, um, allowed a lot of DC development. So there was a lot of development came in. But the demand at that time was pretty slow and had uh, the tap almost dried off. We've seen a pretty large change in that over the last quarter, um, where there's probably around 60 megawatts of RFPs out in the market at the moment. One of those in a very, very large hyperscaler requirement. Um, and that's excluding Chinese demand. So I expect to see a lot of that sort of shell inventory that's been sitting in the Hong Kong market for the last two to three years. I expect to see that being picked up quite quickly, particularly within what I would call the global international operators. So the capacity that's going to be there, say this time next year, could very well be in the Chinese telco or the Chinese domestic operators in that market. So if you look at Hong Kong and Singapore, what are the biggest gotchas, you know, as a U.S. company, say, trying to establish a data center presence in Hong Kong or Singapore? Anything to watch out for? I suspect they're probably the easiest markets to work in. You've got the biggest number of data center colo operators, the, you know, the international names that you'll know, names from the U.S. I think in, in Hong Kong, I, I would say the biggest concern would be, is there enough inventory in an operator that I'm comfortable with. That that would be the key piece. In Singapore, I still think it's pretty much um, you know a, a, a buyer's market at the moment. Uh, and uh, I don't see too many concerns or issues coming into the Singaporean market. So two stable markets, you know, similar business challenges as you pick your own providers and locations and things. I, I guess, Tom, moving on to Japan. What market trends do you see in Japan? Japan is one of the biggest economies in Asia. Um, the data center market and outsourcing in general, this is stepping out of data centers now, outsourcing has never really been embraced by the Japanese enterprise as much as it has by um, global or Western enterprise. And that's simply because they like to keep things in-house and, and, and work together and pull together. So the data center colo outsource market is relatively small for the size of population. You've also got the um, environmental challenges of building any construction in Japan with the risk of earthquake and the levels of design that you have to go through. So what that tends to mean is that the construction market takes longer in the Japan. You're looking at 18 months to get a shell building out of the ground. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, as we've talked about, you know, the foundation seismic isolation, that's a complex process. The other one is the Japanese economy or construction sector um, does not really have a feeder economy to provide construction workers. Therefore, it tends to be quite slow and quite heavily regulated when compared to other, other markets globally. And then finally, at the moment, we've got the Olympics coming up in 2020, which is absorbing a lot of the capacity in that market. You know, people don't want to build boring old data center boxes when they can be building, you know, cutting edge architectural stadiums and things like that. Um, and then on top of that, the 
Tokyo side, so the power company TEPCO, um, they are particularly um, reticent when it comes to delivering power to site. So their standard answer is how long will it take me to get a significant amount of power into a site is 43 months, which is almost untenable. And certainly um, when you hear that in the US, I'm sure people will still fall off their chairs a little bit at that one. There are ways to pull this forward. Um, but you have to work closely with TEPCO, you need the relationship, you need the way in, but you're still talking about two years for power. That is about as far as the hyperscalers will wait, and they are doing that very, very reluctantly. I'm sure everybody knows that their, their, their funnel is far quicker than that. So that is probably the main challenge in the Japanese market. So as a result, when we put that into Colo, we see limited international providers. We've got Equinex and uh, Digital Realty under JV. It's dominated by the Japanese market, uh, not all of whom, shall we say, operationally is a cultural fit with um, global or Western business practices. Uh, I've seen massive movement in the 10 years I've been in this sector and this market in that, by the way, and I think you know that that will change definitely in the next two to three years. But there are those challenges for people coming into that market, and it just takes you a, a little bit of time to get your head around um, how, the, how the, the market works and the, how you need to adapt to get the best outcome. So long pole in the tent is power forty three months. Uh, what what's available for inventory today? I mean, is there available inventory, or is it pretty much been sucked up? It's pretty much been sucked up. We we've sort of at the at the end of the cycle. If you've got five megawatts of IT load coming in, it's pretty challenging. To, to get that into an existing building, you're going to have to wait for somebody constru to construct something. Uh, and, and that is a concern. A, a good example is the digital realty building in Osaka. Uh, it started off around 4 megawatts. It went up to 7.6. They've sold that before it's even been finished construction. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's a, you know, you've got two challenges there. One is the limited available inventory and then the, um, Time frame to construct new is is pretty far out there. Um, so what's the alternative? I mean, I guess if you were looking at Japan and you can't wait the forty three months, and now you've got, you know, no available. You got more than five megawatts. Where where's your next stop? I I, I, I would say you can do it quicker than forty three months. That but you're probably twenty four at least if you're waiting for new stuff to come out of the ground. And I would say there is no other solution other than waiting. Um, okay. yeah, servicing Japan from Korea is, is physically possible at the moment, culturally quite difficult. Um, China, no, that, that just won't work. Um, so Asia has these markets, which Japan is one of them. If you want to service the Japanese market, you have to basically be in Japan. It's very difficult to do it from outside. Um, and so you kind of have to adapt. Interesting. So you brought up China and certainly Japan being a, a large market, large economy. China ultimately may be the largest. What's what's the market conditions in China look like today? China, it's, it's very complicated at the moment. Um, there are so many moving parts. 
uh, j j just throwing some some sort of random comments out there for people to think about and please if you want me to expand on some please follow up um, China will be the biggest market on the planet at some stage I think there's no doubt about that uh, the market is heavily controlled as is the state by by the government the government is essentially a PLC in some regards in the sense that from the you know mayor of the smallest town right up to the you know biggest and highest administrators in the national government there are kind of financial targets on business and, and getting development and investment into the country so finding out uh, when you go into china you have to deal with the government but it's always going to be how do i deal with the government you won't really know until you engage and when you engage as a foreign party you will need to do that with somebody local on the ground be that a partner be that a fixer um, and, and to a certain extent who your local partner will be may very well be dictated by the government and a lot of people who have difficulty in this market and I think probably it's fair to say maybe a lot almost everybody does but Find, finding the way in can mean just talking to people on the ground because you might be having problems in one area but if you move your development to another area or your requirement to another area you can maybe get more traction uh, and it's just about working with what's available there um, and then on top of that we're seeing um, you know China is the only sort of competitor to the US based hyperscalers uh, you've got the big three coming out of there you've got the large telcos I expect to see those come out more from the, their Chinese domestic market regionally into Asia Pac and also over into the US um, I think you've got you've got a, a revolution in the power market in China um, China's quite uh, you know bullish about signing up to the Paris Accords sort of moving in slightly the opposite direction to America at the moment um, the reason being is they see renewable energy as the future and they're investing massively in that and their, their intention is to dominate the power generation market in 20-30 years time. China is very strategic in what it does generally and they think long term. Um, not, not, not sort of five, ten years, they think you know, 30, 40, 50 years in advance. And the current challenges they have in Shanghai and Beijing around lack of power for DC um, is essentially due to the pollution. Um, they they want they want to stop that. Um, so it's very difficult to get a license for DCs uh, or for new development in these markets. So what you'll have to do is move to the locations where they are are looking at it. For example, uh, uh, over the over the other side of the river from Shanghai, I suspect it's going to be easier to get DC uh, up and running there. And it, it, again, as I said, it comes back to the theme of working with the government. If I need to put a, a large amounts of DC supply in, where do I do it? So, although complicated, is the general attitude of the government more can do and they want to facilitate, granted on their terms, but they're, they're looking to grow and establish more business or is it still somewhat exclusionary where they say, you know, we only want certain companies in and, and ones that fit our profile? Yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. They want to do business, they're open to do business, but it must be on their terms. And, and they are pretty bullish about enforcing what those terms are. And that is something I would say to all people looking to go into China in, in any way. You will have to ask yourself that question. 
um, it, it, which is bigger than just if you like the data center. It's do, do I fundamentally change my my core business ideals, uh, or, or adapt my core business ideals? And I guess the terms on which the Chinese want to do business is that pretty static, or is that a moving target? It, it, it's a moving target because you've got that level of competition, particularly at a local level. You've got you've got people um, lo looking at various um, different regions, and they're in competition with each other. So there might be better opportunities in you know the region next door, and it's always worth asking. You know, so you need a partner, you need a, a fixer. I think you you referenced that. Mm -hmm. How do you go about finding that? I mean, it it seems like knowing the right person or people to help establish your dialogue with the government is critical. Where do you find those people? You find them through you know companies like CBRE. To be frank, is is one way of going in. You find those through partners in your own sector. Sector, for example, if you're a, a fiber cable company carrier, you can come in and start speaking to China Telecom, China Mobile, China Unicom, and also um, you, you start speaking at government level. Um, you know, it, it's pr pr pretty sort of clear. Uh, you know, if you're going to Shanghai and uh, for the first time, for example, you you would be having meetings with you know with with, with the city with the state uh, and getting the lay of the land seeing where they're encouraging you to go and you will need somebody who speaks mandarin to do that and so tom your your team at cb and you know won't go too deep into cb you know more general discussion here but you guys do this every day all day right this is this is something that you guys are extremely comfortable with because i just i feel like it's important to underscore the idea that you have to have the right partner to go into a market like china where it might not be as critical for some of the other markets we're discussing yeah it, it's absolutely critical and i cannot stress how much it needs to be a chinese mandarin speaker um, that 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 is critical. There needs to be that cultural overlap. I mean, for example, I mean, with the best will in the world, sending me in um, who doesn't speak Mandarin um, just just won't work. You, you do need that that level of engagement. So you you, you you can have somebody like me, if you like, a subject matter expert in the background, but that engagement will need to be done. You know, sort of a, a twin prong with with the local um, the, the local cultural engagement at the same time as the subject matter expert engagement. So uh, another country that I think probably has its own cultural flair to it is India. What are your thoughts on India, you know, in today's market? India is one of the most interesting markets in the region at the moment. It's it's the hot market, the hot developing market, um, particularly with the hyperscale cloud guys. I think the reason for that is that like China, it's going to be a massive market. It could potentially outstrip the US. I don't think it, you know that will be any time soon, I hasten to add. Um, and of the two markets, India is slightly more open. Um, you know, you, you don't have the same issues at government level. Um, you know, the Brits bequeathed India two things when we left. One was the love of cricket and the other one was... Um, bureaucracy so there's a lot of red tape to cut your way through to set up business in India but once you've done that it you know it, it, it is slightly more an open market than China um, so from that perspective it, it's easier for international corporates to get up and running 
Having said that, it has its own challenges. Um, I would probably say the main one is operational. Um, operationally speaking, the Indian market is significantly behind the international global market. It's catching up fast, but you do need to adapt your way of thinking and um, re really be very clear on what you do when you will go into that market. Give me some examples here, Tom. When you say operationally, what types of things are, are, are different? Where do you have to reset your expectations? Um, the, the, there's the, a sort of ethos in, in you know if, if something's broken, let's let's sort of patch it up and keep going. Um, a lot of the data centers you go in to see will be um, uh, you know they, they won't necessarily feel like the modern high tech buildings that you're used to walking into elsewhere. There are a couple that are, but the majority won't. Uh, it's slightly more chaotic. Um, if if you go around Navi Mumbai, for example, where a lot of the new DCs coming in. Uh, you know, you've got pigs eating trash in the street outside the data center. Um, it, it's 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 as eye-opening <laughs> as that. And it's right. Okay, fine. Um, you will have slightly different um, security access operational procedures. Uh, it, it's not quite as slick as you would expect. Certainly not being with an American eyes on, I would say, or American glasses on. It's not as slick as you would expect. Um, and, and it has that, that a completely different feel to it. Uh, when you dig down into the deep, you know, the details of the, you know, the operational practices, uh, the PPM schedules, the mops and all, all, all that good stuff that makes up a modern DC, you're not quite getting the same level of comfort that you're getting in a, in a global DC. Uh, how reliable is the infrastructure, particularly power? How reliable is the the infrastructure delivering power in India? That is that is one of the challenges as well. It's not as reliable as you'd expect, and not as reliable as it should be. So you you have to go in with the expectation that you know, for a certain number of times a year, you will be running on generators which is why the operational piece becomes critical. They are looking at improving the infrastructure and you're seeing a lot of um, people looking at different ways to do that be, you know, and looking at self-generation. And I think in some areas in India, particularly um, for the hyperscalers, there may be options to do you know, solar, renewable, those kind of things and self-generation. So it's BYOP, bring your own power, right? Yeah, at, at the moment it doesn't quite work that well. I mean, the grid's not quite set up for it. Um, and basically there's there's not a lot of financial savings for doing it at the moment because the grid basically, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're just not geared up to that. Um, I, I, I think if they start moving a bit more in that direction, then uh, that could really take off. Yeah, I mean, that that is going to impact... The strategy, I imagine, of, of how you deploy in India, if you, you recognize, hey, I've got to have a certain amount of uptime and I know I'm going to be running on generator and it's chaotic and maybe I have fuel, maybe I don't have fuel, all of those great things. I guess, do you see multiple smaller data center deployments to say, you know, kind of mitigate the risk a bit by spreading some of the, the facilities around? I mean, what's the, what's the play there? At the moment, you've hit the nail on the head. They're looking at going in in um, Colo initially uh, with some build to suit. The two hottest markets are Mumbai and Chennai. Um, that, in my view, is because that's where the fibre, the submarine cables land. Um, mm -hmm. I suspect uh, going forward, they will look to establish the large 
you know, facilities, because this is like, you know, India is one homogenous country to a certain extent. It's quite federalised, a bit like the US, but you can potentially cover the market with a, a, a DC in Mumbai, a DC in southern India, which would be picked up sort of Chennai, Bangalore, Hyderabad, um, something up in what they call NCR, which is the uh, capital region around Delhi and then potentially over into Kolkata, Bangladesh, those kind of areas, although you've got the politics to deal with there. So in theory, you could do the larger DC and I think that's where people will look. The challenge, as we just talked about, is, you know, can I get 200 megawatts? Um, that's the first one, for example. And the second one is, will it be reliable? Um, and you're going to have to look at self-generation, I think, to a certain extent. And how is the, you know, you said there's a lot of red tape and, you know, it's a process, you know, unlike China, which seems like it might be more of a moving target, is India pretty fixed on, you know, is it the same red tape every time? You got to go through the same hurdles, but at least you have an expectation of there's a beginning and an end. Um, it's not the same. Each state is different. Um, once you've got the hurdle to get in and operate, then you're down to the state level. Um, and again, in India, it's pretty well publicised. There are issues, concerns about corruption. Um, the, the whole sort of government um, can be a bit of a you know commercial organisation, shall we say, at certain levels. Um, and how you pick your way through that can be tricky, particularly if you're FCPA regulated, which anybody based or coming out of the US will be. And that's something you certainly need to be aware of. So uh, I guess, what other markets? I mean, there's some developing markets. Any thoughts on some of the developing markets? Yeah, sure. Um, th th there's a lot of talk over here at the moment about the developing markets. Sort of the ASEAN block, which is um, it includes Singapore, but that's already developed. You've got Thailand, Malaysia, Philippines, Indonesia. And then if you go north, you've got sort of Korea and, and Vietnam. This is outside the ASEAN block. They're all markets that are being talked about. I mean, Korea was South Korea sorry to hasten to add, was very, very hot um, earlier in the year. It's obviously cooled a bit due to the political situation. Um, but assuming that quietens down a bit, I expect that to pick up again. Um, the other markets, there are schemes, um, there are people talking, but I think we're seeing less hyperscale demand into those um, markets at the moment. Uh, the reasons or my take on that is that the procurement teams in the hyperscale section relatively small this is a massive area they're picking off the, the the more urgent targets if you like um so we're seeing a little bit less into this region uh, I, I also think the other one is a lot of these countries again are not open government um and you need to partner with or be owned or have part ownership with a local entity and it can be quite tricky setting that up uh, and that applies to Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam. You know, uh, if, if you as an American company want to go in there, you have no presence, you will need to give away or set up a local entity, which will need to partly be owned by a local partner. And that can be quite tricky to do. You know, and like with anything, I think when, when things are less established, there's more room for, let's call it creativity, right? And creativity meaning that, you know, are, are there certain areas where you look at it and say, you know, the corruption is just so prevalent in certain markets that you just, you cannot do business there. Are there areas that you would suggest staying away from without 
being politically incorrect here. I, I yeah, I, 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 th- I think you have to look at it, and each one varies, and we're all, you know, held by the court of public opinion, the court of the internet, whatever. Um, you know, Thailand is a, mo- a monarchy, but it's 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 run by the military. Um, at, at the moment, that's not an issue potentially. If if that changes, do you want to be invested in that country and potentially having some of the consequences of that? Um, some of these markets, Vietnam is seeing massive amounts of investment from China, Korea and Japan at the moment as an outsourcing um, manufacturing slash tech hub. And Vietnam is definitely setting itself up as, you know, as that. And uh, I think, but, you know, while they have elections in Vietnam, it is by no means a, a, a democracy as as a western you know country would understand it uh, and again it's who you know um and you know it, it, as we talked about corruption is, is is something that people have to work around and is part of your your sort of daily life um as an international corporate going in there you have to bear that in mind right yeah d- different than probably other places um, you know, from a network perspective, you, you talked a bit about Singapore being one of the most well-connected markets. Uh, what, what markets, is, you know, just from a general network connectivity standpoint, have better than average and which ones are the ones that are probably a little bit more constrained? Japan is very well connected. Um, there's probably more f- fiber cables, submarine cables landing in Japan than there is in Singapore, but not into the one market. They're, they're sort of dotted around the country. Um, the, the other sort of cut-off points you have are, you know, you're going to see Chennai and India and Mumbai, um, I, I think, being being big cable meeting points. I think Hong Kong will miss out to a certain extent because the majority of the cables tend to run the other side of the South China Sea. You could, mm-hmm. There has been some talk about Manila picking up as a sort of cable hub, and I can potentially see that. I can also see Manila picking up as an outsourcing area because, you know, it's um, it, it, a lot of people are putting their back office into the Philippines, uh, you know, for take advantage of... Uh, cheaper cost of labor uh, and the really good uh, English language communication that the Philippines um, has. Uh, again, uh, I think that that market would go slightly quicker if it was more open and easier for enterprises or international enterprises to deploy in there. Great stuff, Tom. You know, before we wrap up here, is there anything that we missed? Anything else that you'd like to cover before we close out? Um, no, not really for me. I just sort of say thank you for the opportunity. I hope you found it interesting. Um, I've certainly enjoyed um, speaking to you all. And um, uh, it, like I said, uh, it, it's it's a very dynamic, moving market. Uh, just to give that example, I touched on it briefly. South Korea was very, very hot at the beginning of the year. The political situation has changed, and I'm not just referring to the North. Uh, I'm also referring to the impeachment of President Park earlier in the year. Uh, and it's just changed everything. Will that come again? Yes, definitely. You've got a 50, 60 million population, very tech savvy, very smart. You've got three of the biggest Android manufacturers on the planet. Yeah, that market's definitely going to come again. Uh, But the landscape does change very quickly. Thank you again, Tom, for taking the time to join us. For more information on Tom and CBRE, you can email him at tom.duncan at cbre.com.sg 
or visit them online at www.cbre.com.sg. For more information on NEF, visit nefiber.com. And for more telecom podcasts, subscribe to our podcast channel or visit nefiber.com slash telecom talk. Thank you for listening.